Grand Touring Motorsports started as a social group of car enthusiasts, but we've expanded into all sorts of motorsports disciplines, and we want to share our stories with you. Years of racing, wrenching, and motorsports experience brings together a top-notch collection of knowledge and information through our podcast, Break Fix. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here, and with me today is a special guest, Judd Gravel from the DMV region of GTM. And this is going to be a great opportunity for you to get to know one of your fellow GTM members better. Judd happens to be our 2019 DE champion, which is the highest award given in GTM. It's our MVP award. He is the resident wallflower sometimes. You play a bit of Where's Waldo? Like, where did Judd go this time? All around great member and a great guy. And we want you to get to know him a little bit better. So, hey, Judd, how's it going? Hey, how are you, Eric? Happy to be here. Glad to have you on board. So let's really get into it, right? Let's start with the hard one. How did you get into cars or how did you get into motorsport? Why don't you talk me through that? You know, it's funny. I, when I was a kid, my dad was stationed in Germany and I lived about a mile away from the Hockenheim ring. So we would always hear on the weekends, these crazy sounds coming in over the, uh, the cornfield. And we eventually ventured over there and I got to see my, my first race and when I came back to the States, I found that there was this F1 world where they had Ferraris and Mercedes and all these cool European brands racing. Racing was more than NASCAR. So I, uh, I kind of fell into to watching that. And I was, just a, I was just a watcher for many, many, many years before I actually uh, got onto a track. So, Do you have a favorite motorsports discipline? You know, some of those being, let's say, rally or Formula One or autocross or karting or whatever it might be. Do you have a favorite in there? All of them that you mentioned would be would be favorites. I do, you know, prefer road racing. Obviously, F1 and IndyCar are my favorite. But I have to say, you know, watching IndyCar, I you know, I don't mind watching an oval now and then. Now that I've kind of gotten used to it, watching uh, you know open wheel cars go around in ovals is kind of exciting. But I also used to watch uh, rally a lot. I used to watch touring car racing back in the '90s. I don't watch it so much anymore. But yeah, really, any kind of any kind of road car, uh, any kind of road racing. Nice. So since we're on that topic, what would you say is the greatest motorsport driver, pilot, rider of all time? It, you know, driver being cars, pilot being F1 type guys and a rider being, you know, motorcycles or whatever. So if you could pick out of those categories, who'd you say is like the all time best? Uh, you know, I, I think all time best is, is kind of a bogus uh I reject the question, Eric, right? Because everything's, <laughs> everything's about context. You know, the accomplishments that somebody did in the 50s, you know, is going to be so different than the 1950s. Sorry, than what someone has done <laughs> these days. I can only say from my era, if you will, my generation, uh, I had the most fun watching Fernando Alonso. Some people in the club already know that. But the first five years I watched F1, I watched Schumacher win five consecutive championships. And by the time, love Schumacher, love Ferrari and all that. But by the time... Uh, you know, he had won his fifth. Uh, I was really cheering for Alonso to, you know, do the David versus Goliath thing. And he did. And I just thought he was the, the best driver in history. He's had some tough luck since then and some accomplishments. <laughs> but, uh, maybe not made the best career decisions, but, you know, who among us has? Um, but yeah, yeah, I really, I really admire uh, Fernando. Nice. And, that, you know, it's funny you say that. It, and I, I like that answer because, you know, out of context and all that. And it's I just got done not too long ago read, writing an article about uh, Juan Manuel Faggio's story, uh, the documentary that was on Netflix. And they were asking countless people basically the same question, which is where I borrowed it from. And it was funny. The resounding answer was always Faggio, Faggio, Faggio. And then you got that one guy that's like Senna. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, those are, so you know, those are the knee-jerk reactions. But to hear you say Alonzo, that's that's really good. Somebody a little bit more modern. 
maybe I'm hoping the answer to this next question isn't the same, which is if you could meet one motorsports legend, dead or alive, who would that person be? Maybe you've already met that person, so that, that we can add that to it. You know, I gotta say, I did have the opportunity to meet Mario Andretti at an IndyCar race, so I, I got that one uh, checked off. So that, he's he's a, a big hero of mine, just being a whatever is he naturalized, right? I guess what you call what you call him, a naturalized American citizen. You know, as an F1 champion, I thought was awesome. But I've already met him, so the the other two obviously on the list would be Fernando, but then Schumacher himself, right? Schumacher was the Goliath when I was cheering for David, and uh, I really admired his. Uh, the way he went about kicking, you know, <laughs> the way he went about driving so well for so long with, oh, with absolutely. Yeah, that was awesome. Absolutely. Not to take anything away from Hamilton or, excuse me, my cat's here, uh, or from uh, that, that Red Bull guy, Vettel, right? But uh, yeah, Schumacher, they were just so dominant here. It'd be cool to, cool to see what, to talk to him about what drove him. Are you still an F1 fan now, or have you kind of pulled back with the whole COVID thing and not really paying attention? You know, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I'm still an F1 fan. I still tune into every race, but it, I sometimes will record them and fast forward <laughs> through significant portions of them. You know, I still love the the drama. I love the off season rivalry, the engineering. I do find the on track excitement to be somewhat less exciting than maybe it was, or maybe I remember it being uh, some time ago. I really like watching Indy cars now. I feel like even though the overall quality of the drivers and the cars may not be as high the the head-to-head -head, uh battles in in more or less spec cars is fun to fun to watch but to answer your question yeah i'm still an f1 fan i did go to hockenheim last year when they had that massive downpour and i had to walk back to the train station and that um so i still yeah i still watch f1 but not without a few complaints <laughs> no not to diverge too much but let me ask you this did you watch the iRacing version of indycar during the pandemic I watched a couple of them, yeah, and I also watched they had uh, Le Mans and uh, some some other events. 20, on. Yeah, Twenty Four Hours of the Ring and stuff like that. So you know about Lando? What's your feelings on that? Did he drop the N bomb on the? <laughs> no, he did not. He's the one that got taken out by. Uh, you know, <laughs> Sam remembers all their names, but it's, like it's, it's last hard three to remember. Laps. Everybody's mic'd up. What exactly you're talking about? But yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, no, he did. No, he did what again? <laughs> <laughs> all right well we'll leave that there we'll leave, leave that there leave that there I'm all right we'll leave it alone very good so <laughs> i also watch the nascar i racing stuff too so it's hard to remember yeah who's who and what's what <laughs> so, with that, so with that being said you know you were a fan as a kid that's a similar story to some other people actually hits close to home for me because you know my dad used to tell me these stories of when he was a kid he would go down to the fences there at Maranello and he would watch Nicky Lauda run on the test circuit right and that's what inspired him to get into motorsport so would you say that those early days in Germany inspired you to get into motorsport or was there something else that was the switch right that made you say I want to get behind the wheel and I want to start driving uh, I think what made me want to get behind the wheel was the number of reckless driving tickets that I had racked up and the fact that reckless driving is a criminal offense in Virginia. Um, <laughs> I had more in reckless due to speeding. 20 miles an hour over the speed limit in Virginia is reckless, right? So I had just a laundry list of these things. And I finally figured out, you know, hey, I'm this huge racing fan. I've obviously got a lead foot. <laughs> Maybe if I go on to the, uh, I, I got, I beat all of them, by the way. I have a clean criminal record. Just FYI. 
you know, let me put those two together and, and head on to the track and see if I can, uh, you know, let out some of this excitement on the, on the street. And it worked. I have to say, I drive like a grandmother on the street. now. <laughs> and that's funny. You mentioned that there are many people that have said that the track takes it out of you, but when you get to the track, you're back in that mode and you drive at 11 tenths and, you know, but on the street, you're like, you kind of sit back and go, watch this wreck happen. Right? It's one of those weird perspectives. Yeah. You do start to drive slower. So, I know a little bit of your backstory, but obviously our audience doesn't, and not all, a lot of the members do. You tend to keep to yourself sometimes, although you're everywhere and nowhere at the same time. International man of mystery. Did you start flagging first or driving first? Because you do have a background in flagging and safety as well. Yeah, I actually started driving first, and then as soon as I started driving, or like after my third or fourth day, I broke my arm. Yeah, so I had this huge urge to go to the track, but I couldn't really drive, obviously. So yeah, I went to the SECA and just think, yeah, I registered on MSR or whatever it was and showed up and I did, I don't know, maybe a half, a, it was maybe a dozen days flagging um, all at uh, Summit Point, at all three tracks at Summit Point, several different corners there. It was a lot of fun. I wrote a, an article on, on it. Thank um, you again for that. Sure, no problem. A lot, lot of fun. Learned so much just about the, the ho hobby in general, what happens behind the scenes and, you know, what's actually going on to make a track as safe as it is, you know, for us to go out there and be hooligans. <laughs> <laughs> and you only need one arm to do it, right? So You only need one arm to do it. Unfortunately, it was my right arm that I broke. So by the end of the day, my left arm was just in pain from waving that flag. <laughs> You've primarily done, at least from behind the wheel, only road racing, DEs. Have you done a time trial yet? Have you done anything competitive? I have not. And I know there's an interest there because we've talked about it before, but what kind of advice would you give somebody that's starting out in your discipline, that being, you know, road racing and HPDE? Is there, you know, now that you're a couple of years in, looking back, what would you, what would you say to somebody who wanted to start out? Uh, I would say, you know, do it. I think, a lot of folks are reluctant. They think they have to have the right car. They think they have to, you know, know certain things about the track or know somebody. There's a lot of excuses not to do it for people like me who really enjoy watching racing, you know, and have kind of always wanted to do it. There's a lot less reasons, a lot, lot fewer reasons, you know, not to do it than I thought there were. It's a lot easier to get into it. You can take your camera, you can take your, you know, your Civic, um, you can get a helmet for, you know, $189 on Amazon and you can go. You don't have to have the truck and the trailer and all that stuff right away, even though you're going to want it eventually. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, just, just go and do it again. It's easier than you might think. So room, desk, or car, which do you clean first? Room, desk, or car? Oh, no, absolutely car. I don't let my car get dirty. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. Good answer. Here's a fun one. If you had a hundred grand to spend on a vehicle or, or, you know, for the street or maybe for a discipline, like you wanted to go drag racing or something like that, what would you do? What would you buy? If I had a hundred grand, mm -hmm. well, you know, I'd, I'd probably go out and I'm happy with my street cars. I have plenty of them. So I would probably go out and get some kind of cup car, whether it was a, you know, a golf TCR nice. uh, cup car, you know, how much do those go for? Probably, probably more than a hundred grand. I would guess. <laughs> get a couple years old used or tired, you know, <laughs> yeah, something, something, uh, something built for, you know, not built for the racetrack with race prep, uh, something race prepped like that. Have you heard though, that you can buy a Panos for 14 grand on bring a trailer? Uh, I've, I've, I've heard that a number of times. <laughs> Funny you mention that. <laughs> Top three favorite cars of all time. Top three favorite cars of all time. So this required, yeah, a lot of, 
that's difficult, Eric. <laughs> Again, I, I guess I'd go with my generation. Cars that I drooled over when I was a kid were the Volvo 850R. Uh, I'm a station wagon guy, and I remember watching those touring cars and just thinking that was the coolest thing ever uh, on earth. Um, that was the Swedish touring car series, only available with the black box cable, right? <laughs> yeah, and 5G. <laughs> um, what? Uh, yes, yeah, a station wagon guy. Again, Chevy Nomads, you know, like the. Oh, nice. Yeah, the Gen 1 Chevy Nomads, all, you know, tricked out for, or hot rotted out, I should say. I, so, I love. oddly enough, you share that in common with Brad. That is one of his top choices oh. as well. So, there you go. I have always said that Brad has impeccable taste in station wagons. <laughs> 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 All right, at number, at number three, if there's a third? Uh, number three, again, back to the supercar of my days, Diablo. Something about the Lamborghini Diablo. It's that sweet spot in between, you know, the classic Countach and then the modern, you know, Audi-based uh, Volker uh, Lamborghinis we see today. I'm going to split hairs on the Diablo. Is it the uh, pop-up headlight one or the one with the, you know, the covered headlight? I got to go with pop-up headlights. Hey, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> So with that, <laughs> so with that being said, tell us about your current car, like how you got into it. I'm sure there's a backstory. There's a bit of a love affair, I think, with your Jetta. But you know, tell us about what you're running and, and why it's special to you, and, and where you where you're thinking of taking it in the future. Sure. Well, this kind of goes back to the point of just do it, right? Because whatever you have is good enough. Not that there's anything wrong with Volkswagens, but. My car, I actually purchased as a daily driver, brand new off the lot in 2005. It's a 2005 Jetta GLI. And I drove it for 12 years as a daily driver. I never once took it to the track. And I was going to sell it. I love racing. Why don't I try to go on the track one time before I sell it, right? In case I break it or in case I put wear on it. I'll, I'll, I'll at least get that out of my system. I can see I've been to the track. Um, well, I went to the track. Actually, on my third lap, I blew out the clutch on the Jetta. So I had to get towed home. I fixed the clutch. I went back a month later. Um, and at that point, I had so many people telling me that the Jetta with the stick shift and with the, you know, all the, the GTI basically parts, the suspension and the brakes and all that, um, they said, hey, this is a great, you know, analog car to learn how to drive on. So uh, here I am, right? Uh, many, many dozens of uh, track days later still driving um, the Jetta and everything people have told me is, I think, is true. You know, there's nothing electronic in that car. It's you and the steering wheel and the you know, you got ABS, but other than that, it's really just you and the track. And it's, I think it's a great learning car. Um, I'm torn, right? Because I've always wanted to drive rear wheel drive. But on the other hand, I don't see any, you know, any really compelling reason to, you know, to move on past the Jetta now. I'm just continuing to modify it and break it. <laughs> <laughs> Especially axles is a common thing. Yeah. What drew you to that car? Because I mean, at, in 2005, there were a lot of cars to pick from, let's just say, especially at the price point of a 20th anniversary edition car like yours, you're looking at the upper 20s, you know, close to $30,000 out the door. You know, you had other cars to pick from in that range, you know, be it American, you know, Camaros and Mustangs, stuff like that. You had 350Zs that were out at that point, other German cars, M3. I mean, obviously, M3 is probably more expensive, but there were other things in that price point. What drew you to the Volkswagen? Well, there were, you know, there were, well, three really in, in, in retrospect. One was uh, it had a six-speed, which not everything had a six-speed at that point. The second thing was it didn't have a wing. Uh, um, I, you know, when you were looking at the WRXs and the Evos and the, even the SIs, the Civic SIs, there was always this huge boy racer thing with a big wing and all that. And 
Um, I love the fact that the GLI didn't have a rear, you know, a rear wing on it. I thought that was awesome. It did have the body kit, so it looks sporty, but it was kind of a sleeper. But then the third thing was going back to the Euro background. Sure, I wanted an S4 or an M3, but on my income, 28 grand was a lot of money. And that was, oh, yeah. that's what, that's what the GLI was. So yeah, I bought, and I was more comfortable buying new at the time, um, just as I didn't know anything about cars. But yeah, part of that third part of it there was just that it was kind of the, the poor man's Audi or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it, which I was fine with because I was poor and I wanted an Audi. <laughs> there you go. So, so it's funny you mentioned that. So let's, let's spin the clock back a minute. So it, in that kind of top gear fashion, what cars led up to the Jetta? What did you have before it? Uh, a lot of wagons, um, almost all wagons. Please tell me you had a 240D Volvo. You're my hero. No, sir. <laughs> no, sir. No, not. We didn't get quite that far up the chain. I had like a Ford Taurus wagon. I had a uh, an '88 Ford Taurus wagon, like a 1980 Mazda 323 wagon. Oh wow! Yeah, some real garbage. Um, <laughs> so, what was your first car? What was your very first car? My very first car would have been my parents bought a used Subaru uh, GL beige. You know. Oh wow maybe 84 Subaru GL or something like that. And I actually rolled it over like two weeks after they gave it to me <laughs> I took it on this one dirt road. Uh, and you know, it was, Hey, what's this four wheel drive button for? And the next thing I know I'm uh, upside down. It was, it was hilarious. Well, I've seen the way you check your suspension. The, the videos are hilarious. <laughs> so maybe, maybe I guess some things haven't changed and that definitely answers the question. You know, if you could turn back time and warn your 16 year old self about driving, what would you tell them to do differently? You definitely covered that one for me. So that's, so that's interesting. So you're settled in the Jetta. I know you, you really love that car. You're very passionate about it. You're part of the Mark IV Mafia, which is a subset inside of GTM. There's eight of us or more now running those cars on track. They've hit a price point now where, I don't know, they, they cost more to build than they do to buy. I mean, depending on what you're doing. We have categories, as you know, we have a build sheet for those cars, stage one, two, three, four, and so on. Obviously the TT is like stage 12 because it's way out there in La La Land. But I, I always view your car kind of in the middle. You're there with Brad and, and all the cars are very competitive. Even my VR6 is, is right there with your car. We've gone back and forth and swapped lap times plenty of times and you're very fast. So what do you, where do you see going next? Do you see yourself you know, finally stripping that car down to, to bare metal or where, where's your plan? It's been interesting so far because I haven't had a place to store that. I don't, I don't really have a garage or even a driveway. I live in Arlington in a condo, so it's, uh, it's a little bit different for me than some of y'all with your spacious estates where you store your cars. I live in the boonies, man. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, right. um, but now I actually um, recently procure a tow vehicle and I'm looking at a trailer now oh, and nice. I'm to store it. So um, my goal here is to put a cage in that thing and make it a little bit safer because I kind of couldn't up until now just because I had to drive it everywhere, driving it to the track. You have it maintain a certain level of comfort but now, yeah, my goal is to make it safer, probably strip it out a little bit, put a cage, take the plates off it eventually, you know, now that I, now that I can put it on a trailer in a storage lot somewhere. For the rest of the Mark IV people that are listening to this podcast right now, I've already called dibs on all his black accessories from the 20th <laughs> anniversary package. Just want to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> it won't come cheap, but you can have them. Yeah. And, and so you know, as Brad calls it, fun wheel drive. Uh, and you said, you know, you'd love to get into a real world drive car and you don't really see at your current stage a real reason to make that jump. But if you did make the jump, do you have an idea what you would jump into? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd ask Mazda to, to you know design a slightly larger Miata. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I thought about just you know three series BMWs, anything that would fit me. You know that is kind of I, I like the low powered thing. You know I don't need an M3. But yeah, just basically anything that would fit me that's rear wheel drive <laughs> at this point, but small as possible. Small as possible. Have you driven, I, you know, uh, we call it the team car. Have you driven the gray, the SSM Miata that Kerwin has now in his possession? Oh, no, I haven't. I understand that with the seating, it's actually more spacious than you'd think. But Surprisingly, uh, yes. Yeah, but now so, those are options for me. So uh, I, can, I can explore that, you know, more enthusiastically. <laughs> Get on the wait list to rent that car, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. Let me ask you this question. Best sounding engine, in your opinion? Oh, the best sounding engine. Can I do a tie? Is that chickening out? No, go. you can give me a three if you want. I, go right, right I'll, do a, I'll do a tie. Any of those last generation V10 F1 engines. Yeah, I give you that. I got to see those in person. Um, so did I. I went to Indy every year. The F1 was there. Even the sad race with only four cars running. I was there with you shouting at the... <laughs> and the so, was Sa- so was Sam and so was Don and a bunch of other uh, But at that time, we weren't all together as, you know, one big happy family yet. So yeah, what a, a terrible a race that was. World. But, but yeah, those, the, just the noise of those engines, I mean, you had to have earplugs or you were, you know, you were done for. But then on, on the other side of the, the, you know, of the scale down near the base end, man, the good old American Corvette V8, like Le Mans... I saw those in person at VIR one time and just the thunder and the noise coming out of that thing. Just you knew exactly which car it was every time and you heard it until it was like a mile away. <laughs> it was yeah. awesome. John, John Cafisi in another uh, podcast episode, he, he quote, he's quoted as saying, it sounds like hammers hitting the ground. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It's unbelievable. Yeah. You feel well, it more than so since we're talking about that, we have a couple minutes before we get into some other questions. What do you think about the new C8 Corvette? We wrote an article about that on GTM. You know, it's not the first mid-engine attempt by Corvette, but I know you're an IMSA fan and you've probably been following it like, like we were, and we had a lot of hope for that car. So what do you think about it? Uh, I think it's a wicked car. I'm not too concerned about, you know, tradition. There's, I almost feel like maybe there was room for another car in the lineup, right? And make that mid-engine car and leave the Corvette how it was. But I'm fine with I'm fine with the mid-engine. I'm fine with the dual-clutch transmission. It seems like it's going to be an, uh, a wicked car. I think hopefully make it more competitive with the other mid-engine entries from Ford and Porsche and all those guys. So, um, what do you think about the styling? I mean, a lot of guys joke. You know, you know, you see a McLaren. What is it? 570s. They're like, oh, ask him how he likes a C8 Corvette, right? Because they're very similar-looking cars. Yeah, you know, I, I would even say the same thing about some of the new Ferraris and the Corvettes, you know, you know, the 360s, I guess, the, that, that era, they started looking like the Corvette front ends. So, yeah, it, it doesn't bother me. I don't love some of the rear angles on it, to be honest with you, but um, <laughs> I think they handled it well. They handled moving the engine and still maintaining some of the cool fender, you know, fender dimensions and things. Mm-hmm. So it still looks like a Corvette, but yeah. And I mean, they all kind of, they're all designed in a wind tunnel. Now they're going to have similarities, right? Yeah. I was wondering, and this is before we get into another question about the club itself. So you've been in the virtual racing league for quite a while, and we're going to actually talk about that in another episode and try to invite some of the, the survivors, we call them on that to talk more about that series. And a lot of people don't realize that that is a, a longstanding and own, one of our only competitive events in GTM uh, is our virtual racing league. And it's been going on since 2016. And I know you, you came on early. We used it as a recruitment tool for a lot of folks. Uh, yeah. 
Although you and I met at Summit Point because you're like, hey, that's those cars are pretty cool. And <laughs> what are you guys doing? And you got a Mark Ford, so do I. And that was the end of the conversation. But you know, talk to us a little bit about that experience, like the, the connection of the club in, in kind of our own little virtual world there. No, that's that's cool. I, you know, now that you mention it, I don't know that I've been to an event, you know, that has more club members in it, right? And maybe maybe like the annual bash and stuff like that. But but usually, if you want to get together with like as many club members as you can at one time, you do VRL because they're all on, <laughs> they're almost always online racing. You know, just about everybody you know does does VRL. So yeah, it's been fun just to talk to people off the off the track. People usually. Not that they're uh, stressed out at the track, but they're you know even let, letting it hang out even more on, on the on the VRL events, so you, so you really get to to know people better. But yeah, it's been been a lot of fun. Yeah. Although I have to say, as a person who uses a steering wheel, I feel like I'm being manhandled by you controller people. <laughs> <laughs> One comment about that. So for the listeners out there, there's also some other things we talked about in the Who is GTM episode of the podcast. Some of the other things that we offer, you know, like uh, fantasy football and things that are just kind of traditional, but not really car related because just the way we're structured, we always like to try to do something different. And you are also part of the D&D Guild. <laughs> Another subset within GTM that we never thought would happen, but uh, you know, I've always find that really comical. <laughs> no, it's been it's been comical. I did not expect to spend uh, several hundred hours playing D and D with you guys, but hey, you know, things happen. <laughs> and that's that's never winter. We're not we're not playing the old school you know, paper and pencil games, but still. Um, <laughs> but let me ask you this, because it's it's a, been a burning question for a while since we're talking about VRL. What is the fascination with the vintage Italian cars? Because I can always identify you because it's like, who's driving the weird Italian car? Oh, it's Judd. So what is, what's the draw? I just want to know. Well, I, you know, it goes back to my, my youth. My dad, along with being stationed right next to Hockenheim, was stationed in Northern Italy for several years. So, you know, what is that, 85 to 89? So, you know, the Maseratis of that era you know, I guess the other people, they look like horribly ugly boxes, but to me, they're, they're just, you know, they were the dream cars of the time. Um, and those were the kinds of cars I saw, you know, hot riding around Italy when I, when I was growing up. So, um, yeah, definitely a, a tribute to, to where I spent, uh, spent some time growing up. Nice. Did you guys do any time in England or just in mainland Europe? Just in mainland Europe, yeah. Four years in Italy and four years in Germany. Nice. But you are a Top Gear fan though, right? I am a huge Top Gear fan. All right, so I'm going to ask you this question. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Clarkson, Hammond, or May? Oh, man. I, I got to say May. I just watched his Japan special with my kids, which was almost kind of a mistake. But um, I, I love his, his, his outlook. Uh, you know, Clarkson is a little bit sour sometimes. Hammond's a little bit of an airhead. Not that May isn't, but uh, I, do, I do enjoy James May. I'll take May. Yeah. So you'd have a beer with May. I like that. You're actually the second person. You're the second person to say that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that answer. So now the big one, right? As we're kind of closing in here on our time, tell us about your experience with, with GTM, right? With Grand Touring Motorsports. What's it been like for you? The good, the bad, the indifferent. And, and you know, last year you were crowned uh, MVP, you know, our highest award, the DE champion. And, and that comes with a lot. I mean, you went to everything we could think of and we were throwing events out there. Next, Judd's here again. Oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, kind of describe for the audience what it's like to be a member of the group. You came on kind of midway through because we've been around for six years. I think if I look at your registration date, you're somewhere in the middle there. So just kind of fill us in your outlook. 
Yeah, no, no, it's been uh, just invaluable to be part of GTM as someone who's coming into the hobby with, you know, basically no background and no, you know, support group of friends or anything at the track. You know, people at the track are always nice and you can always ask people questions and they're, and they're, they're usually you know, perfectly happy to help you. But it's still nice to know that I'm going to track and the track and Eric will be there and, you know, so-and-so will be there and I'll see familiar faces and I can ask them the dumb questions without having, you know, just met them a minute ago, you know. <laughs> Uh, so no, it's been great again as a person who was who was completely removed from the hobby and, and just jumped in, jumped in without any any support structure what, whatsoever. Having an instant network of people who who know things about not only track days but racing and car preparation and the whole nine yards has just been um, has just been awesome. And of course, there have been some well publicized events. I've had people won't mention Dan the Mountain Man, you know, tow me home to Virginia from Watkins Glen, New York, out of the kindness of their heart. Um, there are some really, really, really cool people in GTM who really go above and beyond to make sure other members of the club are having a good time at the at the track. So yeah, again, just invaluable, and I can't imagine how how less fun it would be without the, the hobby would be without having, being part of the club. Yeah, that's one of the old mantras that Brad came up with. He used to say, you know, with GTM, you never go to the track alone. Now, we've we've changed ideologies a few times or sayings, mantras, whatever you want to call them. But so to, to kind of expand on that, what do you, would you say is one of your favorite events, right? Because our events are very different than what you would get at, you know, like say Porsche Club of America or Audi Club or whatever. So what would you say is, you know, one of your favorite activities that we've done over the years that you've been with us? Yeah, well, I tell you, I love the uh, field trips here. I, I took part in um, two years ago in, we don't call it the field trip. What do we call it here, Eric? Help the, can, me. the cannonball runs? Cannonball run, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, the cannonball run. <laughs> uh, you know, I made it through half the cannonball run that first year. I got to pit race, not mid-Ohio. The following year, I did make it to Barber. Um, those are the kinds of things, you know, where I would be particularly concerned about driving myself solo out to... Barber Motorsports Park, right, to, to run that track. I might not be able to do that if I didn't have, have the club. And, you know, when you're down there, you're going to dinner with them, you're seeing them, you're all, you know, getting coffee together, you're using communal supplies and things like that. But that to me is, is absolutely, and it's funny, I call it a field trip because it is like a bunch of, a field trip with a bunch of your buddies, you know. Uh, but yeah, those, those by far are my favorite. And I'm hoping we do some pretty exciting ones here pretty soon as they, uh, as the virus uh, wears down, you know? Yeah, and I mentioned this on another episode where, you know, this year the plans got ruined. Our intentions, we declared them at awards night uh, last year that the possibilities for the cannonball were Indianapolis GP, uh, National Corvette Museum, and Club Motorsport up in New England. Yeah. Obviously, the schedules are still all over the map. I mean, we've had to delay Summer Bash, which, you know, that's one of those, we'd be remiss not to do it. We, we have to figure out how to do that. And that's a priority, much, yeah. like the, much like the Animal House event at the Glen and things like that. So unfortunately, 2020 has been a bummer. But, you know, that's why now we have a little bit of ample time to finally get around to projects like this. And with your help, we're able to, you know, continue to, you know, do these podcasts and things like that. So let me ask you this other question. If we could do, and this, this is almost like the old uh, membership renewal survey. <laughs> if we could do something differently or we could do something better, what's, what's that one thing that you would like? If you, if you were king for a day, what would you do in GTM differently? Boy, you know, it's hard to pick. That may be the hardest question you've, you've asked because nothing really jumps to mind. At times I've felt like, you know, we should all you know, do more 
you know, track days, right? <laughs> just more of the same, I guess, is, is the, the, is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Again, nothing really, nothing really jumps out. I'll, I'll fill it in on my, my membership survey though, if, if something comes to me, but yeah, no, I think you guys do a great job. You do offer everything from dyno days to go-karts to do-it-yourself days to actual track days. I think you're doing a lot of great stuff. You know, just again, more of the same. Well, you know, as, as Brad says, we can't do any of this without members like you, right? And every one of the 70 people that are in your group are important to us. They bring their personalities, they bring their stories. And that's what we're trying to, you know, obviously capture some of that. But if not, it'd be me and Brad just poking each other like we've been doing for for 20 years and poking fun at each other. Uh, <laughs> again, I, I can't thank you enough. And, you know, you've contributed to the to the articles we've done and you're always there and you're always helping. And, and that's why, again, the DE Champion Award was well-deserved, you know, and, and <laughs> we were worried, though, about the, uh, we call it the Madden curse, right? <laughs> but uh, no, I'm, I'm glad to see you. I'm glad you're doing well. You know, it's been difficult to to connect with everybody, you know, the people that are buckled down, you know, are, are, are reaching out, but a lot of our other members, you know, it's like, where, where have they gone? Where are, you know, where are they going? Yeah. Well, I definitely had some social media distancing there during the, uh, <laughs> during the virus, but that, I'm comfortable. I'm coping now, Eric. I'm coping now. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, is there anything you'd like to ask me? Anything you want to talk about before we wrap up? Uh, yeah. When are we going to the track again? <laughs> 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 no, I'm, I'm, no, I am, I am ready. It's just, uh, it's been tough with this virus here. Do it, you know, let's, let's get the schedule. Uh, you're headed to some state that'll let us, let us run and let's go. <laughs> right. You're headed to Dominion this coming weekend. Uh, you know, I was thinking I, I have, I may, I may wait. Um, I may wait on that. Doesn't look like there are going to be a whole bunch of people down there, but, uh, I'm definitely ready again. Next time we have an event, I'm there. Nice. All right, Judd, it's been a lot of fun. I'm sure there's going to be more questions coming from this, but again, our goal here was to get people more familiar with the faces that they're seeing on the website. You know, a lot of times it's, yeah, that guy, and everybody knows each other, but, you know, getting that backstory, getting that familiarity, um, it's, it, it's fun, and it's, it's, it's good to know where your roots come from, and, and it, there's similar stories there. There's these foundations of, hey, I was a kid, and I had my hands on the, on the fence, yeah. and, yeah. you know, all that kind of thing. But again, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for uh, letting me contribute to the club. All right. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202 630 1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey listeners, Crew Chief Eric here. Do you like what you've seen, heard, and read from GTM? Great, so do we, and we have a lot of fun doing it. But please remember, we're fueled by volunteers and remain a no annual fee organization, but we still need help to keep the momentum going so that we can continue to record, write, edit, and broadcast all of your favorite content. So be sure to visit www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports or visit our website and click in the top right corner on the support and donate to learn how you can help. 